0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Wow, guys, what a show. Substitute teacher in full effect. We got Steve Fezzik talking about poker tips. I got in a ton of college football stuff. RJ is out sick this week, but nonetheless, lots of great information, whether it be the NBA playoffs where we dive into each series that's going on. We got full reaction from the NFL side as far as the NFL draft goes. And even the college takeaways as far as the NFL draft goes. All that and a heck of a lot of more. But let's talk here about DSI. What a great time of year it is. I mean, the weather is beautiful out there. 75 degrees today in Vegas. One of the best days I've seen in my last three years of being here. All the sports you can handle right now. Sports heaven with the NBA and NHL playoffs. we got the Kentucky Derby coming up this week. Big time boxing match. Major League Baseball regular season action going on. If you're looking to add some excitement, make sure you're making BetDSI.com your betting partner. You can use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle. Now, if you're a new member, you can get a 100% bonus match Using promo code BELL, that's B E L L 101, BELL 101. That's double your money to start winning today. And why choose BetDSI? Well, we we teach you here at pregame that if you're looking, you can never have enough outs. But if you want to win in this industry, you want to become more of a pro than a Joe, having that extra out is certainly going to give you a greater chance of success in the industry. So why choose BetDSI? Well, they've been paying winners for 20 years. BetDSI is a top-rated on betting review sites. You can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. BetDSI, very user-friendly interface and mobile site. They have the fastest payouts in the history. BetDSI does simply play, win, and get paid. BetDSI offers betting options for everything. You can bet on the Kentucky Derby, NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, and all other major sports. Politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. You can try live betting at BetDSI, where you can bet on games from start to finish, every play and every minute, again, until the very end. Once again, new members can get a 100% bonus match using the promo code BELL101. That's B E L L 101. That's double your money to start winning today. Guys, I mean,. I've even taken a look at some of the odds and options that BetDSI offer. If you want to add some extra excitement to your sports you love or any other sports you are watching, make sure you're checking out BetDSI. Go to BetDSI.com, use the promo code BELL101, and get this limited-time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. It's only a game until you bet it at BetDSI.
0: Welcome to RJ Bell's Dream Preview, weekly winners from his wise guy roundtable, broadcasting from the Pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is RJ Bell.
1: That's right, you heard it. I'm Brad Powers. This is the post draft edition of the Dream Preview. I got Steve Fezzik, less than hundred percent here, battling. What would you call it, Fezzik? A little cough or or, or what? A little flu. Or, or a little, uh, hey, I've been running a little bad because Oklahoma City didn't win in the first round and Milwaukee lost their first game against the Celtics. What would you call it, Fez?
0: I think a little bit of all of that. Maybe like Embiid, a little gastro... and what What is it? Gastrointestinal?
1: Gastrointestinal? Yeah, anything with gas and it can't be good. Well, that might not be good for the rest of this podcast. So, guys, if you're... RJ Bell obviously is going to be out. He's feeling a little bit under the weather. A lot of uh, going around here in the Vegas area. So if there's a podcast where you said, hey, I'm tired of these three-hour podcasts, especially in the offseason, this is the podcast for you guys. We're just going to be talking NBA playoffs. We'll break down what we're seeing as far as all four Uh, conference semifinal series so far we'll give our takes as far as post nfl draft i'm going to talk some college football i've been watching the spring games every team's uh, pretty much wrapped up the spring so i'm going to give you some my initial thoughts when it comes to college football and of course at the end not one but two best bets one from steve fezzik one from me brad powers coming your way but before sleepy hit it showtime Woo! All right, Fez, let's start it off here with some NBA talk. And before we even break, get into the individual matchups in the series here, we'll go right back to the bet. You, RJ, and myself, it was actually more of a draft than anything. So it's right around flashback, about two months, right around the All-Star break. And at that time, something a little, maybe a little historic. We had four teams in the East that all had similar odds to win the East. They were the Milwaukee Bucks. Boston Celtics, Toronto Raptors, and the Philadelphia 76ers. The four teams that are left right now in the playoffs, they were all what? Plus 225,
0: Fez? Yeah, all four teams plus 225 shows you how much Vig the dastardly bookie takes. You could have bet all four teams plus 225. If one of them would to win, you would lose three-quarters of a unit. If by some miracle Indiana would win, then you'd lose everything.
1: Yeah, and uh, obviously we, we did a little draft. And you decided you lay a little bit of VIG. You went first and you took.
0: Yeah, I bid on Milwaukee minus $1. fifteen to get the number one pick in the draft. Loved how they're absolutely dominating the regular season. Thought that they would get the number one seed. They did get the number one seed. Very happy. Fear the deer.
1: And you felt even better after they took care of business against the Pistons by 24 points per game. Well, it certainly helped
0: that Blake Griffin was injured and it certainly helped that the Pistons are an inside team and Milwaukee defensively stops two point shots very well. So it was a great uh, matchup for Milwaukee and they crushed Detroit, obviously, 4-0 straight up and against the spread.
1: So Fezzik takes Milwaukee with the number one pick. Next up. If you didn't think laying 115 was enough, I laid 125 to get the team I wanted. I took the Boston Celtics at that time. And, and Boston obviously disappointed down the stretch, only got the fourth seed. So it looked like, and we joked about this, that I had a really bad pick. And, uh, but Boston sweeps Indiana in the first round and beats Milwaukee in, in game one. And we'll talk about that more here in a second. So I, I got to say, right now I'm feeling... Halfway decent with the, the Celtics, even though they're underdogs still in the series against Milwaukee, and they'll be likely underdogs, especially if they're facing the, the Raptors. And speaking of the Raptors, that's who RJ took. He sat back, said, hey, you guys can pay the VIG. I'm going to get the team that I wanted. He took the Toronto Raptors, and RJ's looking pretty good, although game two didn't look so good, and we'll talk about that in a second here, the, uh, the Raptors going down against the 76ers in game two. So that's where we're at right now. We're all four. Uh, All three of us still alive with our three teams, and we're all in similar situations with uh, all the series uh, tied one apiece. So let's talk some series here, Fez. And we'll start it off with Boston-Milwaukee, where you and I, obviously we already have the bet. I think Boston's going to win the East. You think Milwaukee's going to win the East. But we doubled down, especially after I watched my Boston Celtics crush Milwaukee in game one. We doubled down, made another bet on the Straight out of Vegas show, uh, Fez, you're the NBA expert, though. Let, let, let's uh, not beat around the bush here. I'm an underdog to you when it comes to the NBA. <laughs> no no, no question about it. What have you seen so far? We're, we're taping this on Wednesday night. Uh, the series is tied 1-1. What have you seen so far in the, in the first couple of games? Well, I think that these teams are a whole
0: lot closer together here come playoff te- time than they were during the regular season. So during the regular season, Milwaukee was the best team in the NBA in terms of a point differential, outscored their opponents by nine points per game. Boston underachieved. Boston only outscored their opponents by four and a half points per game. Do a little math. Oh, Milwaukee was four and a half points better. Well, the problem is Milwaukee in the playoffs is not going to be four and a half points better. In fact, I only have Milwaukee a point and a half better in my power ratings, my playoff power ratings, than Boston. Why? Because Milwaukee doesn't have the experience. Because Milwaukee basically played balls to the wall each and every night. They won 60 games. They never let up. They were a bully. They were bombing in threes nonstop. And they never let up against Detroit. Detroit. But we've seen this from Budenholzer teams in the past, like Atlanta, built to crush it in the regular season. They don't get any better in the playoffs. Boston, you can say, has some Golden state and then flip the switch that we would expect Kyrie Irving and company to step it up, and they certainly did against the Pacers. Although you could argue they probably shouldn't have swept the Pacers. They still, Boston, played very well in that series. And so I've got Boston only a point and a half beneath Milwaukee in my power ratings. However, Brad... I think Milwaukee can improve in the playoffs and not so much because of uh, the issue of their current players improving, but rather because Miritich, a guy that they picked up in, in February, has entered into the starting lineup, and I think he is a big upgrade. And remember, Brogdon, their starting point guard, has been out since March. They didn't miss him during the regular season. They didn't miss him against Detroit. I make the case they're going to miss him against Boston. If he can't come back, I am hopeful he can come back game three. He's a 15.5 point per game guy. So with Meritage and Brogdon, I can certainly see Milwaukee being more than a point and a half better by game seven. Let me ask you this.
1: Any rust factor with Brogdon? He's been out six weeks and you're expecting him to play, you know, not not. I mean, obviously at a hundred percent, but the playoff intensity is certainly a little bit different than the regular season. Any concerns there? Oh, of course, but I don't need him to be how as much good is as he was. Is, how much is he's worth a, worth a point? If, a point. Yes. Yeah, so right. so he'll probably be worth half a point. But
0: the bottom line, it'll give Budenholzer and the team more options in terms of the rotations and the like, and they just don't have as many options. And we saw that, frankly, in Game One where Giannis really seemed like he was just going to put his head down and drive to the rack, and it was very unsuccessful. And I liked the way he you know, took a step back, didn't try to force it, didn't take as many shots, and frankly, having Miritich in that starting lineup, he's a big guy that can bomb from the outside, that opens up the court for everyone else, and it's going to help Milwaukee get
1: much better looks at threes for everybody. Who did you lean with in Game 2, Fez, after Game 1? Lean to Boston. So what was the takeaway there uh, on Milwaukee crushing the the Celtics? So the takeaway is that obviously
0: Milwaukee played very well, but they shot really well as well. They made over 40% of their threes. But this is a case where I'm bullish on Milwaukee, but the marketplace is even more bullish on Milwaukee. You look at the series odds. What is it right now? These two teams are close to equal, and I believe that Toronto is almost a 2-1 to favorite after dropping
1: a home game and losing home court advantage, correct? So, yeah, I got these in front of me. Before the series, the Bucks were minus 260. Some places had them a little higher than that, the average that the, the sheet I got from Mark, who, who does some work for us here at, at pregame. Uh, minus two sixty for the Bucks before the series. After Game One, losing, they're down to minus one thirty. So just a, a you know a little bit of a slight favorite there. Now that uh, the series is tied one one, you're right, Fez. The Bucks minus two hundred right now in, in the series. Hmm. Kyrie Irving in Game Two, nine points. I went through. I thought, man, nine points. That's that's pretty bad. How about worst of the season? Anytime Kyrie played. 30 or more minutes, Kyrie scored double digits. He had a couple of, like, seven-point performances this year, but that's only when he was playing, like, 20 minutes or so. Uh, 30-plus minutes, not one game this season where he scored in single digits. But yet in game two, shoots four out of 18. Horrible game for him. Horrible game for Boston. They have one of their worst shooting performances of the season, bottom 10 for them, and their second worst in the last 27 games. Milwaukee, I get it, Fez. They're one of the top three-point shooting teams in the nba but to be plus 30 in that area plus 30 points they made 10 more threes than boston gets i don't think you're getting that in game three and i don't think you're getting kyrie irving with nine points in game three hint hint i'll be talking a little bit more about game three as far as one of my best bets minus 200 though does that seem a a little steep to you because i mean i get it that I'm looking at the points per game here, and you know the Bucks. I get the four and a half point per game difference in the regular season. You add three, four points of home court advantage. That line, at least in Game One and Game Two, now makes some sense. Doesn't seem like the market adjusted too much. Yeah, it looks like a good spot here for Boston in Game Three. What have you seen the market wise?
0: Yeah, I th- well, like I said, I think the market loves Milwaukee. And let's face it, the the market is large. Why though? Why does because the market is overly grounded upon big sample size regular season. We talked about that last year. People forget forget that Toronto they're like laying eight against Cleveland at home. They were like a two to one favorite to to beat Cleveland in the playoffs, and people are like, no, they weren't. Well, they were. And obviously Toronto was never competitive against Cleveland It is very difficult in this day and age of analytics and people crunching all these numbers for them to realize that a data size of 82 games is not as significant as a data size of six playoff games.
1: Now we brought this up and I've kind of been leading the way here. I mean, it's a relatively new thing. Favorites have been crushing it in the NBA playoffs last four years. Like, if you blindly bet on every favorite, you're hitting, like, 60%. Same is happening so far in this year's NBA playoffs. Is that what the market's missing, that these teams – it's relatively new phenomenon like Cleveland – Take, not I don't care if we get the one seed, two seed, three seed, we're the four seed we're taking basically going through the motions in the entire regular season. Our record is what it is as long as we make the playoffs. Is that what the market's missing on why these some of these favorites, they're not appropriately adjusting the teams like Boston and Cleveland that have the extra gear, even though statistically speaking, teams like Toronto and Milwaukee you know, are just far superior in the regular season. Is that one of the reasons why the favorites are covering? Yes, but back up, my friend, because
0: ah. you just lumped in Toronto, Milwaukee, and I think that this is a mistake. Okay, because I would say Milwaukee is a front runner that just crushed everyone in the regular season. But remember, Toronto load management for um, for their superstar Kawhi Leonard missed 20 games so it's not like they played Leonard like all the time and went all in to win all these regular season games so I would say I would put Toronto more in the they do have a second gear like Boston whereas I think Milwaukee we've seen this as what is that Nicholson it's as good as it gets for for Milwaukee and I don't think they're going to get any well I said they're going to get better because of picking up Miritich and Brogdon but in terms of X's and O's and execution I think we've
1: seen the best Milwaukee can bring i'll give you credit that's a 1997 reference fez instead of a 1984 reference as good as it gets good movie if you haven't seen it helen hunt uh w- wonderfully acted I-, I think multiple oscars for that one that's our movie stuff here i know <laughs> i likes to throw that in from time to time you know what uh, obviously i'm gonna have a pick on the boston milwaukee game three we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast uh one of my best bets Fez, has an nfl week one best bet uh l- let's dive right into it as far as toronto and Philly goes. We got this series tied one one and right now series price as we're taping this on Wednesday night. The Raptors, only a slight adjustment. This is surprising to me. So before the series, Toronto's minus two hundred ten as far as to win the series. That seems light. That got bet up, did it not, Fez? Like minus two fifty to three hundred. Toronto uh, not that high, not that not high. that high, really. Okay. Got bet up though. All right, and then after game one, Raptors, over the 76ers, they go to a, a 425 favorite, the Raptors. But now 76ers pull that big upset in game two. Raptors are only minus 190, so not that much of an adjustment, even though the 76ers pulled the big upset. what are what, What's your one main takeaway from the first two games of that series, Fez?
0: Yeah, be, before I do that, let me compare and contrast, because I think it's interesting that both Milwaukee and Toronto are basically around minus 190 in the series, yep. right? And I'm worried Milwaukee could lose to Boston. I don't think Toronto can lose to Philadelphia, yet these odds are basically the mm. same. So gun to my head, I would say, yeah, I know I bet Milwaukee to win the series, and like, but there's no way I would lay minus 190 in Milwaukee. But Toronto minus 190, I think a whole lot has to go right for Philly to win the series. And here's the number one factor, the number one takeaway from the first two games. I'm going to give you 62 reasons why I like Toronto going forward. And it's the 62 minutes that Joel Embiid has had to play in games one and two. So we saw against Brooklyn, remember, a chronic knee tendinitis this year. So Embiid was questionable game one, finally did play against Brooklyn, played games one and two. Average 22 and a half minutes. And then game three, it's 1-1. I mean, this series, there's a concern for the 76ers. And Embiid misses game three. He can't play. Finally, game four, he comes in, does play a little over 30 minutes. Game five, back down to 20 minutes. The whole series, he only plays 97 minutes. Now he's only played two games against Toronto, and he's used up 62 minutes. Embiid had a bad game. I know the 76ers had a really good game, game two, and they had a great game on the boards, but Embiid did not have a good game. And I got to tell you, for a seven-footer, he spends more time on the ground, <laughs> falling over, not flopping, but just not looking like a he has a sturdy base. That knee is not right, and I can't see Embiid doing anything but getting worse especially if he has to keep playing 30-plus minutes each and every game.
1: Yeah, I I think it's certainly a concern now. I mean, the the other argument to that is, I mean, they're getting multiple days off if he can get ready. I mean, this is the time of year where he should play, but you brought up a good point. should have been playing probably game three. If he was fully healthy in a 1-1 series in the first round, you'd think he'd play in game three. Uh, I I agree with you as far as what I've seen so far, even though it's tied up 1-1. I don't think it's sustainable for Philadelphia, and here's a couple of things that I don't think are sustainable. Number one, I, I think no one's going to argue that Philadelphia ha- has some depth concerns right now. Starting five, as good as it gets, uh, there's another reference, as good as it gets in the NBA with the exception of, uh, of Golden State, but bench has been an issue for Philly, especially with the Embiid getting limited minutes, and what we saw in game two I, I think was an outlier. Philadelphia's bench outscored Toronto 26 26- to five in that game I don't think we see that moving forward obviously Toronto had one of their worst shooting performances of the entire season in game two moving along I mean what are you seeing from the market looks like the early money I mean if we're looking at game three here and again we're taping this on Wednesday early money looks like it's been with Toronto here I thought I saw Philadelphia open up if it wasn't Pickham, I thought Philadelphia, at least early, was favored, and now Toronto's sitting there as the favorite in Game 3.
0: Correct. So the marketplace is favoring Toronto to do the the zigzag and go ahead off of a straight-up loss to get the win. This surprises me that Toronto's become the favorite. I wanted to bet on Toronto. I don't think I can, though, because I've, I'm always grounded by my power ratings. That's my starting point. Where are my power ratings? Well, right now I have Philadelphia 5.5 points better than an average team. I have Toronto seven and a half points better. So Toronto, two points better than Philly on a neutral site. So let's go ahead and give Toronto three and a half. um, I'm sorry, give Philly three and a half for home court here. And now Philly should be favored by one and a half.
1: That's when it opened.
0: And that's exactly where it opened. And so now all the money, because of the zigzag, and that makes sense. There's something to be said for that, that um, Toronto, maybe this line should be picking. But now that Toronto's laying one. It has gotten, that zigzag has gotten incredibly expensive to go ahead and bet on Toronto. You know, one thing I do want to say about Toronto, you talked about it, their bench got outplayed, which is shocking to me because, you know, I'm a Van Vliet lover.
1: How many points did he have in game two?
0: Zero. Van Vliet. Same what I had. Yes. Um... I always talk about him being worth the point. And they, Are you finally coming down from that? No, he was – this team uh, went five – team, No, not unbelievable. Let's look at the data here. So Van Vliet was injured in March. He missed 18 games, and the team Toronto went 5-13 and 13 against the spread without him. So now you can probably make a case that he's more important in the regular season when everyone – all the starters get fewer minutes than in the playoffs. So fair enough. Maybe he's not worth the point in the playoffs. But Ibaka is a really good backup center, and he was a no-show – in game two as well. So the fact that we had two of our key bench guys, Toronto, not perform, I think we have to expect that they're going to go ahead and play better here. And I I got to tell you, under the radar, Marc Gasol, lumbering, slow, great footwork, Marc Gasol. He leads the team in plus minus per 48 minutes. How is that possible? Wow. He's not a big scorer. Um, well, i tell you how it's possible because he, he's so um, fundamentally sound. He used to be a former defensive player of the year. He still plays very good defense. He's a very good passer of the ball. He spaces things out well. He can still shoot threes when he's open. And so there's a whole lot that Marc Gasol does for this team, and he just joined them in February, that uh, makes Toronto a better team. So with Gasol being a great addition, with Kawhi Leonard playing more minutes, and with Embiid being hobbled, I got to tell you, a little bonus best bet. I think Toronto minus 190 looks like a lot of value for the series. Mm.
1: Well put. Now, the, the confidence in Toronto, I mean, obviously, the playoffs haven't gone their way the last four or five years. Difference being Kawhi this year, is he the stopper? Is he the difference why? I mean, we've seen the market come in on, on Toronto here. Uh, you're leaning towards the Toronto side no concerns even though it's 1-1 and now Philly has home court advantage is Kawhi the reason for the optimism
0: yes because what was the book on Toronto they didn't have a go-to guy so what happens during the regular season DeRozan he shoots it it goes in but then during the playoffs he shoots it and it goes out he never was prime time and I think it it impacted Lowry as well And just to have a load off the shoulders, it's like the hot potato. I don't want it. You take it. I don't want it. Throw it to Van Vliet. Make him shoot a bad three at the buzzer of the 24-second clock. Having a guy, Leonard, who can take control of the game, and we've seen that, frankly, in the playoffs. Um, Leonard has a complete game. He's a great defender, but he's really become an offensive machine as well. And you could easily make a case he's absolutely a top-five superstar in this league.
1: Got Steve Fezzik, Brad Powers here. Again, RJ feeling a little bit under the weather. This is the dream preview here. Uh, let's move up. You got anything else on the East? I think we're good. You
0: know, one one caveat, Jimmy yeah. Butler had one really nice game. Oh,
1: yeah. Can you count on that, move? you know, yeah. multiple games? I don't I, think he can. I
0: don't think so. And, and he scores 30 points. And what was he, 9 for 22? It's not like he single-handedly won the game. And they sloughed off on Embiid and, and left Butler open for some threes as well. Um, Butler has not succeeded anywhere that he's gone. And to now say, some people are saying, oh, he's the best player on these 76ers. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that.
1: Yeah. I heard that, uh, Colin Coward, uh, was talking about building a team around Jimmy Butler after that game two performance, let's get deal and beat. And that's a separate situation. I could get that with the injury concerns, but let's build a team around Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler. And, uh, Chris Broussard came in and said, mm, building a team around Jimmy Butler it doesn't look like a wise investment, uh, but uh, that looks like the the market's really talking him up. Uh, there, I don't think that's sustainable moving forward. Well, the 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 when you say
0: markets, the media is media talking him up. Thank you. The betting Myers. markets are not yeah. talking Jimmy Butler up. The betting markets are blinking Toronto.
1: Fair enough. That's Steve Fezzik, Brad Powers. Let's move to the West and the series that everyone's talking about. Obviously, maybe. I mean, if these two teams didn't play in the same conference, a preview of the NBA Finals. Golden State-Houston here. Uh, Golden State, obviously, as we're taping on Wednesday, is now up 2-0 in the series. Series price opened in this one. The Warriors were only minus 250 before the series. Uh, Remember, last year they were less, but the Rockets had home court advantage. This year, the Warriors have it. Now, after two wins, the Warriors minus 670. Minus 670 now to beat the Rockets. Fez, that's what, 85%? 83%. 83%. I knew you'd correct me on that. You know, a lot of different storylines here. We go in a lot of different directions. What was your number one takeaway from the first two games, Ofez?
0: Well, Golden State went all in to win those games at home. And what do I mean by them going all in? They already came in a little bit tired because they had to go six games against the Clippers. So think about this. They're playing in L.A. in Staples Center while... Houston has already flown into the Bay Area, and so Houston's completely rested, so it's Golden State, the home team that is traveling for their home game, and Golden State says, you know what, we're just going to play all our stars 40 minutes instead of 35 minutes, or 45 minutes. We're going to play Durant and Green and Clay and Steph seven more minutes than we play them during the regular season, they did that in game one, and they did it again in game two, and... Because of that, you would have expected that fatigue, the fatigue on Golden State from having that longer Clipper series, that it would have shown up, and it would have shown up in the second half against Houston, and it would have shown up game one and in game two, and you would have expected Houston really should have been able to steal a game, but they weren't able to, and a big part of that is, you know, even with Clay with um, uh, an ankle that's not 100%, and even with Steph having an issue with his ankle and then dislocating a finger and basically taking a back seat, especially in Game 2. But certainly in Game 1 also, he didn't score 20 points. Durant, we always talk about, and we, we've got all the numbers, how um, Steph is more important than Durant to Golden State. Well, that may be true during the regular season. And that may have been true the last three years because I know that um, records-wise, when Durant goes out, Golden State still wins, but when Steph goes out, they've, they've struggled. But Durant has taken his game to that next level where he has just become the man. The offense basically all, all goes through him, and because of that, all the other players, they're playing all these minutes, they can take possessions off because they know Durant can always get you a good 47%, 48% shot on any given possession, and I think that that has been a key to this series.
1: Now, I mean, obviously there's two different type of player rankings. There's your work to your own team, and then there's the overall player rankings. Colin has been you know, preaching this the last couple of weeks, and now Kevin Durant has separated himself. Kevin Durant is now the best player in the NBA, not counting because I, I get it. Some players, I mean, LeBron's worth a hell of a lot to the Lakers team that really doesn't have any other superstars. Do you have Kevin Durant as far as overall rank? Is he your top player right now? It's too close to call. You
0: know, I mean, in terms of you could make the case going into the playoffs that he wasn't even the most important player for Golden State. So now to make him better than Giannis, um, to make him better than LeBron, although LeBron obviously had a – I guess, an aberration year that we had LeBron as the most important player, six point, worth six points to his team, and then by the end of the year, it was worth almost nothing to the Lakers because of the circumstances. I think you just, just got to say, hey, Durant's a top five NBA player and leave it at that.
1: couple things. I, I, what's getting a lot of play is the officiating, uh, Rockets Warriors. And we did the, the digging here prior to Game 2, Scott Foster being the ref. Rockets now, when Scott Foster officiates – playoffs the last three years 0 and 7 straight up 1 and 6 against the spread coming up short of expectation right around 15 points per game in those uh seven games so that still plays a part with, with the Rockets going down uh barely as far as not not getting the cover uh, in game two moving along uh, looking towards the future I definitely want to get this in because this has been a talk now for the last couple of years in the NBA playoffs. Mackie did some great research here. So we got Houston down 2-0. They're coming back home. Game 3. Home team's down 0-2 in the first half of game 3. You go back to 2002. You just blindly bet on this. 90-42 and 42 against the spread. You're betting on the home team down 0-2 in a series in game 3. Ninety and forty-two math. What's that? About sixty-eight point five percent ish. You pes. didn't. You didn't do that in your head. I don't have any notes here. <laughs> you memorized it. No. No. I. No, I, I it just Sounds didn't. right to me. Yeah, it sounds close. While I was okay. getting to your confirmation. You're Mister Math. I, I'm just. I mean, I'm just college knowledge guy. Ninety and forty-two, but looks like the secret's out <laughs> on this trend, Fess, and that's what happens in today's day and age. Uh, and something can be good for a while, but sooner or later it gets out. How are we seeing this getting priced? I know you got a couple examples uh, of this really getting priced out in the marketplace. A home team's down 0 2. Well,
0: obviously, game three, these two teams are playing, and Houston, in a great bounce back spot, is laying four, even though they're the inferior team against the spread. And Houston's also laying four in the first half. So, what does a minus four game team typically do? They lay two in the first half. So if you assume each half point is worth ten cents, you're essentially laying, and you're not laying minus two, lay a dollar ten. You're laying minus two, lay a dollar fifty here um, to do the equivalent of laying minus four, lay a dollar ten in the first half. So the market has priced an extra forty cents into the halftime line on two full points of point spreads. It's hard for me to believe that this trend can continue to win with such an onerous point spread tax and look no further than what we saw with indiana game three hosting the celtics indiana was down two games to zero basically laying about minus three for the game laying about minus three for the first half Well, Indiana wins by two. Well, that normally would have been a cover in the first half. And instead of 90 and 42, it would have been, you know, another win on the W side of the ledger first half for these 0-2 home teams. Well, no, that was a loss because of the point spread tax associated with that game. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. If you ask me, what's it going to do going forward? Now, that's an interesting question, Brad. I still think it's going to hit more than 50% because it's so strong. These 0-2 teams in the first half. I just don't think it's going to hit 52.4% because of this really big point spread tax.
1: That's a good call there. And look, this is a trend. A lot of people can say what you want about trends, but trends that make sense. And this is one that clearly makes sense. Desperation mode for the team down uh, 2-0 in the series. The the team's coming back home for the first time in the series. If they're going to give a motivated little extra effort, it's going to be at least early on with the home crowd energized, and if a team that's up two zero is ever going to exhale a little bit, it'd be early on in the game, game three, when they're already up two zero. So the trend makes a lot of sense, and not only is it you know ninety and forty two since you know the, the last seventeen years, but uh, I mean the previous three years, and this is where it's really gotten some traction was twenty four and four coming in this year, but now only two and two. So yeah, you're certainly paying that premium, and it should
0: have been three and one based upon the old the old
1: pricing. Exactly three and one on the old pricing. So uh, that is something knowing full well if you're gonna you know buying it because a lot of people are gonna be talking about this trend. Know full well that you're certainly paying much, not just a premium. I would say. A maximum, almost premium on these point spreads first half,
0: and people have said, you know, the oh the and heightened crowd frenzy of you know the must win and, and the like, and I think that certainly is a factor, but I really think what possibly the biggest factor is is adjustments. If you're up two zero. It's hard not to say, you know, what we're doing is working. Come and be. It's almost like two chess players are playing, and one chess player basically is playing their opening and they're winning each time. Why would I change while their opponents like, desperately going through the moves that they're making. Say, hey, this isn't working. I got to make this adjustment. I know I'm going to make this adjustment, and my opponent doesn't know I'm going to make this. So they get to pick, you know, the adjustment that they get to make, and that gives them an edge. And, frankly, you could argue, well, why doesn't that – why isn't it as big a factor in Game 2? Well, it is with the zigzag. But Game 2, oftentimes, you only have one day off. And here, usually, you have multiple days off. And I think the more days off you have, you've got one team sitting back, complacent, happy, celebratory. Hey, we got an 87 or an 83% chance to win this series.
1: And the other team saying, it's over. There is no tomorrow if we don't win Game 3. That's Steve Fezzik. I'm Brad Powers. You know, moving forward, we've just been talking Warriors-Rockets here. Uh, obviously, the Warriors big-time favorites in the series now up two-zero uh, over the Rockets, minus six seventy. Now the Warriors. Let's talk futures as far as the NBA playoffs go. Uh, you know who's going to cut that, you know down the Nets when it's all said and done. As far as the finals, Warriors prior to the series mi- minus one fifty was the number that the, that versus was, the field versus the field. It's up to like minus two hundred range. Fez. tell me, and we've disagreed a little bit. Tell me, give me the math on why. This is such a bad bet right now with the Warriors against arguably the team that was supposed to give them the stiffest competition. Why is minus 200 now a bad, really bad bet? I think it's a really
0: bad bet. Let me ground this in my power rating. So right now, Golden State last year was better than this year. Houston last year was better than this year. Both, both teams have, have slid. Golden State's a point and a half below their, uh, where I had them last year. Houston's two and a half points below where I had them. I have Golden State 10 points better than an average team. And so if we look at the East... If we look at Milwaukee and Toronto, both of those teams aren't as good as Golden State in my power ratings. But they're both about two points worse. Milwaukee's a little
1: bit better than Toronto. Oh, my. Okay. You disagree with that number? Two points. On a neutral court. On a neutral court. Golden State's only two points better than Milwaukee and Toronto. Well, I've got them one and a half better than Milwaukee, two and a half better than Toronto. So I, 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 I mean, is Sleepy here? Are you kidding me? I mean, I would have, if I had a neutral court, we're talking NBA Finals, no upgrade. These are playoff power ratings, right? You give me Golden State on a neutral court and anything less than three, I'd have one of my biggest bets of the year. Well, let's look at that Golden State team. Let me ask you this. Who's better, Houston, Toronto,
0: or Milwaukee?
1: Oh, Houston.
0: By a lot or a little bit? A little bit. All right. So let's take a look at the Houston spreads that we've seen so far. So we've seen game one, we've seen Golden State was laying six. Game two, Golden State was laying five, all right? Now the game goes to Houston, and Houston's laying four. So the market is saying that, yeah, Golden State's better than Houston by what? By about a point and a half based upon that that valuation. So if they're a point and a half better than Houston, (laughs) all right, then they're two points better than Toronto and Milwaukee. So the marketplace is saying you know, that, that Houston, Toronto, Milwaukee are all, you know, somewhat comparable. And that they're and really, Golden State's not that much better. Now, when you play a seven-game series, you don't have to be that much better to be a deserved um, favorite, especially if you have home court advantage. But they don't have home court advantage. That's the key. Not just Milwaukee. Toronto had a better regular season record. Toronto has the home court. So if we have a situation where uh, Golden State has to play against either Milwaukee or Toronto – I'm not confident that Houston's going to be more than a minus 200 favorite just in the finals. So even if they get there, I still think that Golden State's probably only going to be like a minus 175 favorite. And here's why. The East is so loaded. There's so many good teams that invariably we don't know who the best team in the East is. We're going to find out. Probably the best team is going to make it to the conference finals. There's always the chance that a team just steals a series with hot shooting. So whatever team in the East survives into the finals, be it Toronto or Milwaukee, I think we can expect their power rating is going to be higher come June than it is right now in May. And given it's a higher power rating, all of a sudden Golden State may only be like a point or a point and a half better and not
1: have the home court advantage. That would be ludicrous to give them put them as a minus 200 favorite. That's Steve Fezik, and and now you saw why I'm an underdog to Mr. Fez when it comes to the NBA. With that being said, though, that's on your hearings. The second or third straight $100 bill you've been paying me when it comes to NBA bets,
0: Fez. You know, and I got to tell you, as far as Golden State flipping the switch, you talk about sometimes the situation just matters more than the power ratings and the like. So they're game six. They're at the Clippers. And what were they laying in that game? Ten. They're laying 10. So Golden State, only have being, I don't even have them being 10 points better on a neutral. Yeah. And they're in L.A. Now you can make the case it's all a whole lot of Golden State fans. But clearly it's not neutral. I mean, yep.
1: the Clippers. So two and a half, two, two and a yeah, half points. Yeah, the
0: Clippers yep. have the home court. The Clippers are nine points worse than Golden State. And they've got the home court. And they're catching 10. And they're never competitive. It's eerie how well this Golden State team can play when there's one game and they really need to win. And we saw that at the end of the year, the last month when Denver looked like they're going to try to steal that home court in the West away, the number one seed. And Denver just got the living daylights beat out of them, not once, but twice by this Golden State team that has been so
1: effective just saying, okay, the switch is on. Uh, Big picture, just thinking about, you know, as far as the window closing here for Houston, is it closing? Because Chris Paul... I mean, sooner or later, that's going to get to be a really bad contract. Uh, They made the contract to have that year or two, the ability to to go and make a run for the finals. James Harden, uh, MVP type of season this year, 36 points per game, had, what, 30-plus games, went with at least 30 points. Uh, It's starting to look like there's some wear and tear there. He's averaging about seven points per game less in the playoffs so far than what he did in the regular season. Uh, what's this Houston team looking like uh, towards the future? Is the window really closed for them?
0: No, window is wide open. Um, think about those storm windows in the clutch commercial. Don't go there, Fezzik. No. <laughs> um, Golden State's clearly the best team in the West. Well, if they lose Durant, mm, good you point. Ju- you just, we just concluded that durant you know could be the best player in the nba he might likely be heading to the knicks we'll see so if he leaves houston's better than golden state well who else in the west is suddenly going to emerge as the team that's going to slam the window shut on houston well i'm looking through my power ratings and you know denver and portland who are going to be sacrificial lambs to golden state next round um denver would have a punching chance they're uh, they're my third and fourth best teams right now in the West. So, I I understand Denver could get better. Houston's arguably the team to beat next year. That means the window is not closed.
1: Very good, Fez. Uh, for a guy that's less than a hundred percent, you're doing pretty well today, Bud. Really well. Let's move along. We just met, you mentioned those two teams in the West, and, and the reason we left this, or unless, unless you got anything else as far as Golden State, Houston. All right. Well, let's talk uh, last but certainly not least uh, the Portland-Denver series here. Again, we are taping this on Wednesday night. So right now the series, Denver is up 1-0. And I got to tell you, Fez, I mean, I've been impressed with Denver so far in the playoffs. I get it. They barely won a coin flip game, game seven against the Spurs. But there was two or three times in that series where I thought they were dead. I mean, lose game one at home. I think you have all that. See, I told you, this Denver team, that they're just made for the regular season. They're overrated. They're getting beat, Denver is. Game two at home, already down 1-0. 19 points late third quarter. They come back and win. Game three, what happens? San Antonio takes it to them, even though Denver had a good shooting night. So it's game four. They're down 2-1. They're getting beat by double digits early. Rally, take the lead. First win in San Antonio, what, since 2012? That was another good good job well done as far as a young denver team game seven they haven't won it since what the uh, game seven as a franchise since the late 70s they get the job done even though they were two out of 20 from three point range in game seven i thought the the, the biggest thumbs up for me as far as an upgrade for denver game one against portland because i thought it was a horrible spot for denver off of game seven young team short rest and they win in cover, despite the fact Portland hits 52% from the field. Damian Lillard had 39 points, one of his better games. Enos Kanter had his best game yet in a Blazer uniform, 26 points. And yet, Denver wins in cover. I mean, we talked about this briefly on Straight of Vegas. How much have you upgraded the Nuggets so far? Upgraded them half a point, And it's all... Oh, that's crazy talk. RJ, would be all over you right now. Well, I, I would
0: disagree with RJ. So, okay, so you you you're making a case for Denver showing tremendous fortitude. And I agree. Yes. I absolutely agree. But the bottom line is that shortcomings in the first quarter count in our power ratings as well as comebacks in the fourth quarter. So they're playing the Spurs. Both teams are much better at home. It's three games each. So basically at that point in time, you can make the case the Spurs have slightly exceeded expectations. It's you know The, the seventh seed has taken the two seed to a seventh game, and Denver wins by four game seven. Well, they don't even cover. Now, you bring up the great point, though. They Denver goes two for 20. So, you know, I'm going to give them some credit for the fact they really should have, especially if Pop hadn't had a Leonard Hamilton moment and not and chose not to foul down <laughs> four. Apparently, he was trying to foul. Oh. Who knows? Um, that Denver should have covered. So maybe we'll go get ahead and give Denver... A tiny upgrade but I still don't know if, if it's warranted maybe just because of the merit of getting some playoff experience and growing as a franchise in that first series but then clearly the game against Portland you nailed it Damon Lillard played great Cantor with the separated shoulder played great and Denver still took it to him and was in control up 10 at the end of the game okay we'll upgrade Denver I'll give him half a point but the bottom line is it's still a team Denver that's much much better at home well What's happened in the playoffs? Denver's played eight playoff games. They played five at home. They only had to play three on the road. So they've only won one time on the road during the regular season, 34-7 and Denver was. So Denver is still a team that I think is much, much better and much more comfortable at home. But I will give them a lot of credit for that comeback game four at San Antonio.
1: (laughs) Matchup-wise. Uh, I, I obviously you think that there's a clear advantage here for Denver, particularly at the center spot. Uh, big reason why the Nuggets. I mean, moving forward, Nuggets. Uh, let, let's look at the series odds. So before the series here, uh, Denver right around minus one forty-five uh, to win the series. Now after one win, minus two forty-five. That that's actually a decent size adjustment there for a team that was uh, the expectation was for them to win. Uh, let's talk about the center. Uh, is it Jokic? Is that how you say it? Jokic? The Joker. Yeah. The Joker? Jokic? You know, Talk to me about him. I don't know that. I'm not an NBA guy, you know, originator like you are. I haven't seen the guy play that much. So you look at him in warm-ups, and he looks like the most unathletic
0: Mike Konkak type of looking um, player that's not going to be worth anything. And this guy has skills that are tremendous. Sometimes Denver lets him take the ball up. All right. Uh, and instead of their guards because he's so such a good ball handler. He can shoot threes. He can post up. He's light on his feet when he gets the ball in the paint and can score. And he's a great passer, so he gets triple doubles um across the board. Matchup a disaster here for Portland because what is Portland down right now at the center position? So they go and lose Nurkic, which was one of their big three with Lower McCollum. So um Enos Cantor gets acquired, and he actually greatly exceeds expectations. But he, you said, it has got a separated shoulder. He's not 100%. Apparently, he's having trouble sleeping, eating, <laughs> and putting sh- a shirt on. And yet, somehow, he sucked it up and scored 26 points. And everyone who saw the game, like, he's wincing after he makes a dunk. But he played great on offense. But he did not play well on defense at all. And Portland doesn't have anyone to contain Jokic. And so... It's a double whammy. Jokic gets 37, but he's not like the type of guy like Westbrook that you can just double-team and throw bodies at because he's perfectly content at going ahead and distributing the ball and letting his teammates shoot threes. Um, His over-under, Jokic, was 25.5 points for game one. He hit for 37. I think he's going to kill Portland all series long. Currently in my power ratings, I upgraded Denver They're four and a half points better than the average team. I upgraded Portland, but I only have Portland a half point better than they did to start the playoffs. At three points better than the average team. How can you say that? Well, maybe I'm slightly biased because I lost with Oklahoma City, (laughs) all right, and some of it was unlucky what transpired in that series. But I still upgraded Portland a point based upon that. But my concern with Portland is I just don't think Lillard can keep playing like superstar top five MVP status in the NBA. I think he's more a top 10 player. And I think further at some point having to go with Cantor and have him log all these minutes with an injury that he's going to wear down. Big guys tend to wear down when they're injured as they go forward and they're going to miss Nurkic. And because of that, if these teams had to play a best of 99 with the current personnel, I'm confident Denver would win it almost every time. They're the better team right now, um, especially with Portland being thin. This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview.
1: Are we looking at any individual player props on Jokic? I'm only seeing... And I've looked around, I I don't have 28 outs like you, Fez, but I'm not seeing individual points. I'm seeing the, the points, rebounds, assists, prop 45. 45, up from 43 and a
0: half game one. But, you know, when you score 37, and <laughs> I actually kind of like that points, rebounds, and assists because, like I said, he's the type of player that I could easily see Portland saying, you know, we can't let him score, you know, close to 40 again. But he'll be perfectly content at distributing to his teammates, so I could certainly see him having a triple-double game and getting over the 45.
1: Again, that's Steve Fezzik, star of this podcast so far. I'm merely Brad Powers, filling in for R.J. Bell, out sick this week. Uh, if you guys are, in case you're wondering, a little bit of a dry show compared to the sound bites and the drops and whatnot those will be back next week with R.J. Bell. It's a, we're just hitting it hard here as far as the analysis goes. No story time and whatnot. Any closing thoughts on this series, Fez?
0: I think that we got to talk about the home dominance that basically we talked about. Denver was the best team in the NBA at home, 34-7 and seven straight up. Now they're 4-1 and one straight up in the playoffs. Denver only won half their games on the road, actually had a losing record. and Portland, much of the same, regular season, Portland, 32 and 9 straight up, 21 and 20 away during the regular season in the playoffs, Portland 3 and0 straight up at home, one and two away. So um, I think it would be very difficult for you to talk me into backing either one of these teams whenever they go on the road, and I would always look to lean probably towards the home team.
1: Yeah, and looking at it, I mean, and also Portland, at least the last five years, have not been good as far as on the road in the playoffs. Right now, 2-18 and 18 in their last 20 games.
0: Portland's one of those sneaky teams that, I always talk about the altitude teams I don't like in the playoffs, Utah and Denver, because they get that big monster advantage during the regular season. So they always have these gaudy home court edges um, because teams have to go in in bad situations. But sometimes I think it just fuels off of itself when, you, when you're Denver and you just say, you know what, we win at home. And they're so used to winning in a young team that they've got so much confidence there that that can build on that. And the same thing's true for Portland. It's, they don't have an altitude edge, but obviously difficult to get to Portland up in the Pacific Northwest, and oftentimes teams, very difficult travel situations. So I think Portland, well, they used to call it the Rose Garden. I don't know if they still do, but that, that, that place is just such a big advantage for Portland up in the Pacific Rose Northwest. Garden.
1: I'll give you a, uh, an old reference. Wasn't there a good 70s tune? I never promised you a rose garden. No, you didn't. But I am going to promise one thing that you did not tease in your
0: introduction. I'm going to talk about the one poker hand that I see more misplayed than any other hand
1: when I play no limit poker. And when are we going to get to that? Whenever we you feel we have time. We'll see if we have time at the end. But right now, we just wrapped up the NBA coming your way here in just a, a minute or two. We'll be talking about the NFL Draft. We'll give Fez's thoughts on that. I'll give you the college perspective as far as the NFL Draft from this past weekend. But first and foremost, our only commercial break. Ah, our old friends at True Car. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. And the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups. I might need to do a few of those since I moved here to Vegas. Or just listen to my voice. You can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate true cash offer from a local true car certified dealer it's that easy guys after that you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together you can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride so when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car make sure you're checking out true car today All right, guys. Back from break here. Let's uh, transition. A lot of a lot of good NBA talk there. Fez, I, I got to give it to you, man. You're stepping up your game. Uh, let's transition to another one of Fez's specialty. And keep in mind, Fez is less than 100%. Fez was not here on Monday and Tuesday. Could not do the straight out of Vegas show, although did him from his mansion. He still has that mansion on his yacht, even though he's running bad against me right now. Let's talk NFL draft. And I think... Overall, you know, a lot of people ask me, oh, what's your reaction? Oh, the, the, this you know, team took this player, this player, and this player. Oh, Mel Kuyper gave this team an A+. He gave this team a, a C-. minus. What's Vegas' overall reaction to the NFL draft? And, and usually my answer is, meh, meh. Nah. I, I don't know. I mean, who knows how a lot of these players are going to project moving forward. Fez. I mean you've been here a lot longer than me as far as the Vegas market goes. What do we do we see any really type of reaction at all when it comes? Uh, just generally speaking, then we'll get into specifics as far as this year. Is there any reaction at all on a majority of the teams when it comes to the NFL draft? No reaction to the vast majority of the teams, but I got to tell you, Brad, I was ready to come in, thump my
0: chest. The draft does not matter initially. There'll be no movement of any team. Nothing will change. And yet there was a change. Mm. One team, New England Patriots, obviously a whole lot of draft picks, 12 picks, 6 picks in the top 100, and normally you won't see that impacting the overall lines, but we saw it impact the New England Patriots season win number, which had been a 10 and a half, the over had been like minus a dollar 20. Well, right after the draft, a day after, I look at New England's season win number, it's 11 wins. Over is favored at minus 120. The betters like what they saw from the Patriots in the draft. And maybe this is a case of oftentimes, you know, a team that gets a whole lot of draft picks is a lousy team that no one really wants to back, and there's no real optimism. But the fact that it's the Patriots, and we know how good the Patriots are with decision-making, and we just feel that they're better than everyone else at everything. So if you give them 12 picks, and they're going to pick better than anybody else, Patriots should be better.
1: Mm-hmm. Are we sure 10 and a half just wasn't a bad number? Well, we know that 10 and a half... Well, op- 11 yeah, yes. got bet down Yes, right. because it opened...
0: It wasn't a bad number because it opened 11. The odds makers started at 11, and the Sharps... Because the only people betting right now are Sharps. And the Sharps looked at that and said, this is ludicrous. Brady is going to be 42... How can you have the Patriots at eleven wins, even with the easiest schedule in the NFL? And they immediately Look at that division again. They said exactly super easy division. They said, "Gimme, gimme, gimme." Let me go under that eleven, even if they go five and one in division, they could slip up. And um, then the other sharp said, "Not so fast." All that um, addition, including brand new wide receiver for Brady to throw to in the first round from Arizona State. Um, the other Harry, yep, yeah. The other, what do you think about that pick?
1: I like it uh, I mean obviously they didn't address you know the tight end as a concern but Nikhil Harry's a bigger possession type of wide receiver guy you can throw to uh not only in the red zone he's a good red zone target big guy you can get your first down uh, when it's third and long like the pick a lot uh, the word was that the the Patriots were trying to trade down from it and people were like nah ah uh, uh, we're not we're gonna let you pick here and this was widely reported by Adam Schefter and the guys that covered the draft. But we're going to let you pick here instead of you getting, you know, two picks, uh, you know, 45 and 50 later in the draft. I'll tell you the one I really like, Chase Winovich, the defensive end from Michigan fits the New England style very well. So I agree. Uh, market, you know, I wouldn't adjust to half a win off a draft, but I, I definitely, the the uh, thumb was more in the up direction when it came to New England's draft than, than certainly down. Speaking of down, Fez, and now we're going to get specific as far as this year you got a couple of teams that you think in the short term were losers because of what happened in the NFL draft. Who are they, Fez?
0: Yeah, and let me make a caveat here. I have no idea in the long term who won the draft, who lost the draft. It's very unclear, especially teams that took quarterbacks. But in the short term, I can tell you this. I would be much more uh, excited – About betting on the Giants and betting on the Washington Redskins, had they taken their sixth pick and their 15th pick and taken a good, solid first round selection that wasn't a quarterback. And here's why. You look at the Giants, they take Jones, number six. And most people, from what I, you know, took a look at the consensus said he had no business being drafted as a top 15 pick so the giants basically it's not so much that they get jones but they lose their number six picks so that's a big deal i also think that there's the distraction of the giants are only supposed to win six games this year with eli and i don't like eli as a quarterback but i still think this year if i had to bet who's going to be the better quarterback I think both are going to play, and I think Eli is the better quarterback this year. Now, n- not necessarily next year, so this may not be a bad pick long-term. But short-term, I can't be bullish on the Giants because they've got to sell tickets. So bottom line is if the Giants start out poorly at 2-6, and six, Jones is very likely to see some playing time right off the bat this year. And because of that, I could see that the Giants – if they're close to winning right around six wins as they're expected to be to going under. Now Jones could be great, but, and I know we've seen, and we saw it with Baltimore with the rookie quarterback out of nowhere playing really, really good ball. But for the most part, um, that is more the aberration than it has been the truth. Although last year the rookie quarterbacks did do very well. And I think maybe there's an overreaction and a reach on some of these quarterbacks because of the success of last year's quarterback class. Similarly with with Washington, I'm more bullish long-term with them taking Haskins 15, because I think they got a relative steal taking him 15, but I still think Case Keenum is the better quarterback than Haskins this year. I'd rather have um, Case Keenum behind center, and I'll, I'll go ahead and, and make the case at some point Haskins is probably going to take over and I really think that the week that he takes over, you're going to see an adjustment in the line. It's not going to be in Washington's favor. It's going to be against Washington when it gets announced that Haskins is going to start week seven or week 11 or whatever week it is.
1: And speaking of adjustment, I always do this every draft, right? Right before the draft, I print because now it's become more and more prominent. The week one lines are out and multiple books. It's not like one book in Lagos or one offshore with low limits. Have it. Every book pretty much has NFL week one lines, and they've been bet into for the last week. So I print those out before the draft starts, the week one lines. And then after the draft is over, I I wait till Monday, you know, the late Sunday, Monday, you know, give them 24 hours to react to the draft and see if there's any movements. Not one game moved except one. One one game moved as far as the draft goes. And it was just a half a point, something very slight. And it was with Washington, who was prior to the draft, an eight-point underdog against the the, the, the Eagles, now eight and a half. And and I got to think – Look, we don't know 100% for sure why that moved a half point, but I got to think that at least there's some market speculation out there that the chances of Haskins maybe playing early had to come into that move. That was the only move I saw, half point. The other one being off of Tyreek Hill news, Jacksonville and Kansas City week one. Uh, So I'll agree with you there, Fez. Yeah, and bottom line is that Washington saying, hey, we're going to have a quarterback competition with
0: McCoy, with Keenum, and with Haskins. And so as soon as the betters heard that, they're like, oh. I don't you see want-
1: Haskins? Uh, they're going to unretire the seven jersey, Joe Theismann. Haskins going to wear seven. Did you see that? Hmm. What's your thoughts on that?
0: Boy, if you're a superstitious sort, you don't want to be playing quarterback for the Washington Redskins, do you now? Get some extra insurance. <laughs>
1: Especially if you got leg issues. Number seven had a leg issue on a Monday night football game. Wow. Uh, Any other thoughts as far as the NFL perspective goes and the NFL draft?
0: Well, I I think we should mention with um, Tyreek Hale being so important for Kansas City. And and so um, in their week one matchup at Jacksonville, that line, of course, was uh, Kansas City was favored. Kansas City was about a five point favorite. And. There's a, a real feeling that Kansas City's wide receiver is going to be suspended um, with all the allegations floating around out there. And because of that, we've seen that line drop down to four. And I got to tell you, even if he played, I think Jacksonville's pretty good bet, plus four. I think that's
1: what At one. home? Are you kidding me? Upgrade at quarterback? They, they still, you know, a lot of defensive talent there. I thought Jacksonville did very well in the draft. Got a good player in Josh Allen off the the outside. Stole Josh Allen. Yeah, and and then got Juwan Taylor, who many, if you believe in all these mock drafts, guys, that's their profession. They get paid good money to do so. I mean, they had Juwan Taylor going to Jacksonville at seven in the first round. They get the same player in the second round. So, yeah, I I agree with you. That's a little bonus. Yeah, a little And speaking of week one NFL best bets, you're going to have one at the end of the podcast, right? I am. Yes. Uh, you know, R.J. will kill me if I don't talk at least a little bit. Kyler Murray, first pick. I got some strong th- thoughts on this. And I think we have three historic, historically bad, uh, I would say, numbers, sort of say, on why I, I'm not buying Kyler Murray short term. I'm not buying, buying Kyler Murray long term. Obviously, the one factor that's out there that's been probably over-discussed is the height. And we did great research on this. But I mean the fact of the matter is whether he's five foot ten or five foot eleven, Kyler Murray's gonna be the shortest quarterback in the NFL. By by on average, by a couple of inches. Uh so I think that's gonna be a negative. Well it can't be the it's not on average. It's just how, how how tall is the second tallest, which is... Well, on average, your your NFL quarterbacks, like what? Russell, six, Russell Wilson's 5'10". No, I'm saying on average, Fez, the average NFL starting quarterbacks, what, 6'4"? Six, 6'3"? Six, yeah, 6'3". Six, yeah, six, so, yeah. I mean, he's going to be... Yeah, you're right. He's going to be at least a couple. Fair enough. <laughs> Misspoke there. A couple inches shorter than even the, the the other shortest quarterback. Fair enough, Fez. You got me on that one. Uh, so that that's, to me... Look, is it a positive or negative? I don't think anyone can argue. Hey, that's a major positive. He's historically short, and so. he might be half an inch shorter or an inch and a half shorter, depending I tell- upon whether he there was some shenanigans going on when he was measured. Right? I got to tell you, there was he was getting interviewed on the re- they have a red carpet there, and there was a woman that was uh, I forget her name. I think it was from the NFL Network, and she was like right there, eye to eye with him, same height, and uh, I think she's she's five foot six. Or no, is she five, four? Whatever. It's either five, five, in that five foot five range. And somebody tweeted out, hey, does she, because she, she's exactly the same height as Kyler Murray, does she have a pair of, uh, of five or six inch heels? And she responded back to the tweet and says, no, I do not have any 5-inch, 6-inch heels. So those two were eye-to-eye, exact same height when she was interviewing me on the red carpet. And, of course, Straight Outta Vegas was in Atlanta, and Kyler Murray was in front of Straight Outta
0: Vegas. And I got to tell you that our own mayor, Mackey is five nine and a half, and he looked to be exactly the same height mm. to me as Kyler Murray. And R.J. Bell, who's five ten and a half, was quite a basketball player in his day, <laughs> uh, towered towered
1: over kyler murray so um how does that happen in the combine though fess have you ever seen that i thought we we're supposed to trust the combine numbers you know i'm wondering you wear
0: three pairs of socks i don't i don't i, I, know, don't, I don't know is that like radar or o'reilly you know with his
1: um his platform shoes and 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 mash who knows let the let the conspiracies fly so historically small no one's gonna argue that i think that's a negative other negative is I went through and looked at the quarterback position the last 20 years, who have been the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, and then I went back to their college experience. And even Urban Meyer, he was on the uh, the herd right before the draft, and he was talking about his biggest concern. He was very open about his concerns about his own quarterback that he just coached Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. And, and Colin asked him, and he said, hey, what's your concern? Experience, only one year. And you looked at the successful quarterbacks in the last – 20 years in the NFL all at least had two years of starting experience at the college level at least two on average it was a little more than three Peyton Mannings of the world had what three and a half four years of starting experience and even the ones that have recently come out that have been somewhat successful early on their careers the Marcus Mariota's the Deshaun Watson's all these guys right around three years of experience Kyle Murray just played a little bit over a year and keep in mind, everyone's like, oh, sports specialization. These quarterbacks in today's day and age are just, you know, they're playing one sport. They're So they're taking more snaps in the spring instead of playing baseball in the winter. They're not playing basketball. The point guard, you know, they're getting football reps or, or at least the conditioning when it comes to football. Uh-oh, can't say that about Kyler Murray, can we? Last what, almost his entire life, he's playing baseball in the spring. So he's not taking those extra snaps. He doesn't have much starting experience. That's, in my opinion, another red flag. And doesn't have a reputation for being a guy that's taking the playbook home and studying it. I don't know if we know that, Fez. Uh, I mean, Lincoln Riley really defended him. Of course your coach is going to defend you in that case. I think that remains to be seen. But what isn't is the fact that there's no doubt that he missed some spring practice time the last couple of years playing baseball instead of football. Final red flag for me, Kyler Murray. Why am I I'm not buying him short term, I'm not buying him long term. Has nothing to do with Kyler Murray, but his head coach. Cliff Kingsbury, I don't think I I've seen teams reach for coaches in the NFL, take assistance and whatnot. I don't know if I've seen a bigger reach than this. Well, RJ has documented the fact that at Texas Tech,
0: basically if you take out the victories against Kansas— Wait a second. Where did RJ get that? From Brad Powers. Do you have those those numbers? I do
1: have those numbers. You take out Kansas— Big 12 record for Cl- cliff Kingsbury. And why are we taking out Kansas? Kansas in the last decade has been the worst power five program, not only of that decade, but any decade that any power five programs ever had in their history. That's how bad Kansas has been. You take out those six wins that cliff Kingsbury had over Kansas in big 12 play in his six years, 13 and 35, straight up 13 and 35. I mean, that's what got him fired and they didn't want to fire him by all accounts they wanted to embrace him he's the former quarterback he's got the movie star looks everyone loves him on campus personally and yet he's fired at texas tech a place where mike leach won consistently eight nine games every year and now all of a sudden he's the head coach of the uh, an nfl franchise when there was question marks about maturity with cliff kingsbury can he really handle the whole thing I got to tell you, Fez, I'm not buying Cliff Kingsbury as a head coach. Kind of the pretty boy
0: flash of Texas Tech versus, say, meat and potatoes just winning the games with limited
1: talent. What, Iowa State? Matt Campbell? Yeah, absolutely. Now, give me Matt Campbell over Cliff Kingsbury any day of the week. So, uh, again, uh, I said this on the Straight Out of Vegas show on Saturday. I'm just not buying Kyler Murray short term and long term. That was one of my major takes coming out of the draft. Any thoughts on that, Fez? think we're good all right l- let's move to college from the draft because I've, I've been itching here a little bit you know nfl draft i'll give you guys a couple of nuggets here because i'm spending my time you know the, i broke up with a girlfriend several months ago so now i'm back you broke up with her yeah i broke up with her
0: what what, what you question that first what were you there that's a bad move why you got to get her to
1: break up with you oh i don't give goes a shit so much, i was done with it goes okay. so much smoother. I. Whatever. It is what it is. Anyways, I've had extra time on my hands. Right, so don't, I've been, don't listen to me. It's fine. Whatever, fine. Fez. Mm. Go ahead. All right. I've been, I, have, I have a little extra time on my hands. So what have I been doing? Unfortunately, not going on the strip, but I have been diving in some spring games and some early college football information. I'm going to give you some nuggets on how you can benefit coming from the NFL draft from a college football perspective. I just want to lay it out here. Because, you know, I I hear this from any other fan bases, not from the South. Oh, the SEC gets over-talked about. This SEC dominance is overplayed. How about this? The NFL draft, I mean, they don't have a bias, do they? They're not ESPN. They're not, you know, paying TV rights uh, to cover the SEC and whatnot. They just want to get the best players, right, Fez? Yep. The SEC had a record 64 players drafted. The most by any conference since the common draft era began in 1967. 64 players taken. 13th straight year, the SEC had the most selections of any conference. Obviously, Alabama had the most. Nick Saban now has more first-round draft picks than any other coach ever uh, in the common draft era. Fifth straight year, the SEC's had 50 or more players taken in the NFL draft. In the past 25 years, Only one time has one conference had 50 or more. It was the ACC about 15 years ago. You know, so I've always read that when we are handicapping
0: college football, that the following year we want to look at, like, they call that, I think Mark Lawrence calls it the draft day hangover. Phil Steele. Phil Steele. Okay. Um, Correct. That. I think we got to normalize this, right? Because it's not just a matter of how many guys did you lose to the draft, but how many guys did we expect to lose to the draft? Because we expect Alabama is going to lose a whole lot of guys each and every year, right? Yeah,
1: so Alabama lost 10 uh, guys. Ooh, that's a big loss. That's the most. So down arrow Alabama, no. They lost 12 the year before. So, you know, that's a good article there, and it does take that into consideration. So i got four teams here that lost a lot of players in the draft that usually don't. So this was historically high uh, amount of draft picks they lost. Washington. Chris Peterson has been doing a great job, but they just had eight guys taken in the draft. The most for Washington since 1998. Uh, Washington's won 10 or or more games three straight years. I think you're going to struggle to get to that total this year. Next up, Texas A&M, 7 the most for the Aggies since 1992. Jimbo Fisher's doing a great job there, but they got a hell of a lot to replace this year. They just won nine games last year. I'm not sure they're going to do so this year against a tough schedule. But you love Jimbo Fisher, and you forecasted
0: a continuous improvement, so might this be just like a fact? This is
1: going to be the one-year dip, Fez. They're going to be gotcha. really young. They're freshman, sophomore dominated. The, 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 if I'm buying stock in Texas A&M, I'm going to wait till right after this year and then buy it after that. They, they've been doing really good recruiting. Excellent. I would give you a dream music if I had it. All right. I, I, you could tell I love this college stuff. Uh, Old Miss lost six. I, I mean, are you kidding me? Old Miss really underachieved. Six players gone in the draft. The most for them since 1971. I think that was Archie. Archie, not Archie Manning, not Eli Manning's. Archie Manning's senior year uh 1971 that's the most that they've had lost there the other team down arrow these are teams that lost a lot of players in the draft they usually don't kentucky just won what 10 games first time since the late 70s just had five players taken in the draft that's as many as they had in the previous six years combined most draft picks they've lost since 1979 and a guy taken in the top 10 right how when was the last time kentucky had yeah, josh Allen, well tim couch probably with the first pick, mm-hmm. the Browns, that was that, eight, 98 or 99. My goodness. All right, on the flip side of that, here's some teams. I think the, the, the arrow's up. So they didn't have a lot of players taken in the draft, and they usually do. So I think they're going to be improved this year because they got bringing a lot of guys back. They didn't lose anybody. Nebraska. How about this? Zero. <laughs> didn't have any guys taken. It's, they've had at least one player drafted every year since 1967. This year, Zero. Arrow's way up for Scott Frost. That, that, that won't be the case moving forward for the Huskers. They're not going to be back to where they were under Tom Osborne with Tommy Frazier quarterback, but they're certainly going to be better than what they've been the last three, four years. Tennessee, goose egg. Every other SEC team had a player drafted. The Volunteers, proud program, zero. Up Arrow, second year under Jeremy Pruitt. Louisville, zero. They had actually, forget just, you know, players drafted. Louisville in the last four years had four first-round draft picks, zero overall picks this year. Up arrow, Louisville. I like their new coach, Scott Satterfield. Finally, Virginia Tech, another goose egg. Zero for the Hokies, a very inexperienced team last year. They've had at least one player drafted every year since 1993. Zero this past year. I'm going to give you, and this might be uh, to close this off, and this is why I'm kind of a little higher on this player than, than, it, it, than what the rest of the media is. That they're really throwing this pick in the trash. Duke has had one player drafted in the last four years combined, Daniel Jones. So, man, a man, guy didn't have much help around him, did he? Everyone's dogging him as far as stats go. Oh, he only completed 59.5% in college, only threw 22 touchdowns. Who does he have around him? Nobody. He's playing in the ACC. He's playing Clemson, Florida State, Miami. Of course he doesn't have the same type of numbers that a Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins have. Give him the talent level. Hell, give him. Eli Manning had a top-five wide receiver, and Beckham a top-five running back and Saquon Barley. Give Daniel Jones at the college level. I bet his numbers would have been better. I'm not buying all this hate on this guy. Yes, it was a reach at six, but they're, they're acting like it's the worst draft pick in NFL history. I, I just don't see it at all. So
0: pursuant to that, you would put a lot of stock in the fact that he played well in the senior bowl, and now we're comparing apples to apples, right, that everyone's playing with the same teammates.
1: I like the kid. I, I mean, I, I, for, I can tell you the first game I saw him, redshirt freshman in South Bend, Indiana. He throws for 300 yards. I think it's his first road start. Three touchdowns. And Duke, as a three-touchdown underdog, pulled the outright upset against Notre Dame. That's what Daniel Jones did in his first road start. Not too shabby. Uh, I I think he's a player. He's more mobile uh, than what he's given credit for. I'm I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer, folks, but I think he has a a decent chance of being a quality starter in the NFL. And you download uh, the archives, go in the archives straight out of Vegas, the Saturday edition, the best of I actually compared him, and it's unbelievable how comparable his st- statistics were to another ACC quarterback that was taken number three overall about a decade ago. His name is Matt Ryan. It's uncanny how similar their stats were.
0: Well, since you're bullish on Mr. Jones, you know I like the New York Giants under six wins. I'd no, be willing no, to no, lay no, minus a no, dollar no. twenty not on by that
1: long, the long term, not Fair short enough. term. Fair enough, long term, fess. Little before we get the best bets, let me get to one, you know, and I'll say my top five. I'm going to get to one more college football topic here. Uh, Cause I didn't get a chance to talk about it on the, the regular straight out of Vegas show. I want to talk to Abbo Sweeney who last week just signed his biggest, the biggest contract in college football history. I'm going to give you uh, my take. And I think a solid Vegas take, I think right now Look, career-wise, Nick Saban, far better career so so far than Dabo Sweeney. But right now, Dabo Sweeney is the best coach in college football. Don't believe me? Let's just look where the games matter the most when you have the extra time to prep and the games matter the most. Let's look at Dabo Sweeney the last seven years in the postseason. Bowl games, playoffs. And every single one of these games was big-time stakes against big-time head coaches for Dabo Sweeney. Last seven years in the postseason, eight and two straight up. Nine and one against the spread, exceeding expectations. Expectations being the Vegas spread by sixteen points per game. Clemson was an underdog in nine of those ten games. Fez won eight of them outright. And he's not playing little sisters. The poor Clemson's not playing. You know the the, the third. You know Minnesota from the Big Ten. He's playing national championship level coaches in all these games. Uh, Two thousand twelve outright upset over Les Miles won a national title. 2013 outright upset over urban Meyer hall of famer 14 and 15 outright upsets over bob Stoops national title winning head coach hall of famer covers against nick saban in, in, in the national championship in 15 crushes Ur- Urban meyer has one goose egg in his entire coaching career one game where he gets shut out Cle- clemson's dabble sweeney does it to him in the postseason at they beat Alabama outright for the national title in 2016 against Nick Saban, the best coach ever. Uh, The only non-cover was in 17, but even this past year, easy covers. Brian Kelly's halfway decent. And then, of course, crushing Nick Saban, giving him the the worst loss he's ever had at Alabama. Right now, I mean, you can tell me, you can green button this. I don't know how we do it. We'll figure it out. I think right now, Dabo Sweeney's clearly the best coach in college football. Disagree?
0: I don't even think we can have a conversation. I think it's so obvious. I, I get it.
1: Ten years, 93 million. I think he's worth every penny. And, and if you're going to tell me next ten years, because he just signed a ten-year contract, I'm going to ask you this, Fess. We'll see if you got, you're got. you all up on your college knowledge. Over under the amount of national titles Clemson has in the next ten years under Dabble. Two and a half. Yeah, I put it at two. So you bet the over? Yeah, I, I think two. Yep. I mean, I think they're going to get two one. Look,
0: two looks light, considering they're in the finals
1: every year. Fair enough. So there, I got my little college football fix there, Fez. No top five. We'll do that next time. We're running a little long here on the podcast. Can you give me a three-minute poker fix? Yeah, let's give you a three-minute poker fix. Go, Fez, go. The
0: number one mistake I see in no-limit poker, and and people are like poo-pooing me, but I actually played a lot of competitive high-level poker, especially like late 2000s. Um, Top pair, in position, over betting it. So you got about 100 big blinds. You got a pair of kings. You're in late position. Close to the button, you raise, you get a caller. The flop comes down, two, four, seven, rainbow. So there aren't two suits of anything. Your opponent checks and you bet. And you properly bet, and he calls, all right? And then the turn comes along, and it's a brick. A jack comes off on the turn, and your opponent checks. And this is a critical situation I see people doing all the time. More often than not, unless you've got a complete calling station guy You want to check the turn. What do I mean by a calling station? A guy that, if he has any pair, he's just going to call you all the way, and he's a bad player, and he's passive, and he doesn't raise. And here is why you must check there. It's possible your opponent has flopped a set. has three of a kind, and you're drawing dead to two cards. If you bet the turn there, and you get check raised, you have an impossibly difficult situation. Your opponent could be bluffing, and you got to make a read on him, more often than not, in that situation, you're going to fold. But not always. you are got to make a read on your opponent. And you've got to worry about a big barrel coming in on the river where he bets the pot again against you. The beauty of checking there is it's possible your opponent isn't making you for a hand. Your opponent's thinking, oh, he just continuation bet after the flop. If he checks the turn your opponent's going to think, some of them, I'm going to steal this pot away from him and I'm going to bluff the river. So what you do is on the river, let's say a queen comes off on the river, then if your opponent bets, it's possible he's got that monster set and you're crushed. Well, you just call him, no problem, insta-call. If your opponent checks, well, then you can bet and get your value because if your opponent has like a pair, he'll probably call you that one extra bet that he may not have called you on the turn. So again, in position, top pair, you go ahead and you bet after the flop, you check the turn, and then you bet after the river. That's your basic strategy. Now, you don't want to play it that way every single time and be too predictable, but in all
1: things being equal, do not bet the turn. Wow. Teachers away. The, the cat's away. The mice will play. I love it, though, Fez. I'm glad. A little poker tip action from Steve Fezik. Am I a bad Las Vegas? What, what, what do they call people that are from here? Las Vegas? What do they call it? i'm 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 using I'm thinking of the term when you're a degenerate, yeah degenerates degenerate. I'm talking <laughs> that, I mean, I've lived here now several years now. am I a Las Vegasian. I mean a ohioan Michi- michiganders no, yeah, there's not a term for people. not that am I bad around. that I don't play poker at all? No, never no, played no, i I, I wouldn't make a case
0: like in the mid two thousands with the moneymaker situation, the games were so soft. The pretty man RJ picked up on this and he was making a living yeah. um playing poker and making a living with his other business as well um basically choosing when to make and how to make his living um but the games were so soft and juicy I got to be honest I haven't played poker in like months because it's just not profitable enough and I need to spend my time handicapping and betting sports now if it had been the late 2000s that would have been difficult because Oh, my goodness, like on a Friday night, like a NASCAR event weekend or a big fight weekend, the games were so juicy, it was hard not to go out on a Friday or Saturday night because you could make like $80 an hour playing No Limit Poker, and now you, you might be like plus $20
1: That's Steve hour. Fezzik. Sleepy, you're, uh, you're doing a lot. You're wearing a lot of hats here, including a New York Yankees hat. How about some Best Met drop music? Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. And
0: no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pen and pencil.
1: I give you a piece of my mind. And we're gonna start it off with Steve Fezick. Week one, NFL action best bet. Go Fez go. NFL week
0: one. What is going on here in the black hole? The Oakland Raiders are laying two and a half points to the Denver Broncos. And I know why. Because Oakland, despite being a horrible team year after year, just the betters love the Raiders. They love back in the Raiders. The odds makers know that. They Some of the odds makers actually opened this game three. I want to make the case that the wrong team's favored. I think at the – let's fast forward last year. I'm sorry. Let's go back last year to December 1st. Denver was 6-6. Six and six. Denver, the talk was, oh, Vance Joseph's going to save his job. They're going to back into the playoffs. And then Denver just got horribly injured, lost their last four games – and ultimately, finished six and ten. But Denver was a decent team that absolutely had a chance to make the playoffs. Oakland was just a train wreck disaster all year long. And now Oakland's got all the distractions of they're already looking at this travel um, ridiculous situation where they got to play five straight road games here from weeks four to nine. They're moving to Vegas next year. Um, there's all kinds of. Um, issues even in the draft about how they sent all their scouts home because they had leaks of information. They wanted to avoid that. I just don't trust Oakland at all. And in no in no universe could you possibly power rate Oakland to be close to being Denver right now. Denver is clearly the superior team. Even if you get three for Oakland's black hole, um, for home field advantage, at best, I think you get this game to pick them in the fact that right now Denver's catching two and a half. You got to bet Denver plus two and a half best bet.
1: Best bet for Steve Fez. How about something that's not going to be played five months from now? Sleepy, you like that? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to Thursday night. Actually, Friday night. Friday night action, NBA, game three. I'm going to double down or maybe at this point it's triple down. Best bet for me, game three, NBA, I'm going to take Boston. And hear me out. I think we had two outliers in game two that screams value on Boston when it comes to game three. Number one outlier for me is Kyrie Irving. First time all season, Kyrie Irving plays 30 minutes and doesn't, that's right, doesn't score double digits. Kyrie only has nine points in game two. First time all season, he played 30 or more minutes and didn't get there. That's not going to happen come game three in Boston. Bounce back spot for Kyrie Irving. On top of that, I don't think you can count on Boston having one of their worst shooting performances in their last 27 games, it was their second worst in game two, a game that really, you know, would they have liked to have won and gone up 2-0? Yeah, but when reality sat in in the second half that they weren't going to win the game, I think they waved the white flag a little bit there. Boston will have a better shooting performance, and I don't think I get it, Fez. Milwaukee, great three-point shooting team, one of the best in the NBA, but I don't think you can count on Milwaukee being plus. 30 from behind the arc, hitting 10 more three-point shots than Boston. None of those are going to happen again in game three. Therefore, I like the value Boston minus two over Milwaukee. Best bet for Brad Powers. Closing up the podcast here, Fez, any last words?
0: I think that's strong, your analysis of Boston. i got to be honest. I think Milwaukee's going to win the series, but I was surprised that Boston was only laying two and got to expect that Brad Stevens will make the adjustments here in Game 3. Would not surprise me at all for you to cash your ticket. Looks like a solid one on Boston, minus two, Game 3.
1: All right, guys, that will do it. Again, sorry for the dry show. Not a lot of drops here, just a lot of analysis. RJ should be back next week i'd give him 99.5 chance he'll be back next week we'll be back with you guys yeah fez. i'll take 150 to one you want to press the green button 150 on to one it? yeah i'm not <laughs> very good fez yeah it's, it's even greater than that all right that'll do it here for the dream podcast post nfl edition we'll be back with you guys next week make sure you're checking out straight out of vegas each and every day if you want updates on those series when it comes to the nba talk to you then Thanks
0: for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.